0: Hello, and welcome to For Your Listening Pleasure, a podcast focused on talking with interesting and diverse individuals and discussing how their backgrounds shape them into the people they are today. I am your host, Mallory Waxman. I am honored to be welcoming Casey Chibwadia to the podcast. I could not think of a better guest to start 2023 off with, as KC has served our great country in two capacities. He spent over 20 years as a senior human spaceflight engineer at NASA's Johnson Space Center, supporting over 50 space shuttle missions, including the Space Shuttle Columbia accident investigation. If that wasn't impressive enough, Casey has also spent over 20 years in the United States Navy as a surface warfare officer, including deployments to Iraq looking for those missing in action and Afghanistan with naval special warfare. His NASA and U.S. Navy life-changing events, challenges, and experiences uniquely prepared Casey to discover his life's true purpose, to improve the odds and inspire others to seek and achieve their dreams by crushing inequities. And for him, that started with student-athletes. Casey is the founder and owner of Athlete Foundry, a company with a suite of products, to lift and positively impact pre-college students, athletes, and their families across the country. What I absolutely love about KC is that he is unapologetically obsessed with diversity, inclusion, and gender equity. To learn more about KC and Athlete Foundry, check out the link in this episode's show notes. Please enjoy my conversation with KC Chibwadia. Casey, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to dive into your journey and for us to kind of talk about your career achievements and everything you've been through. One thing that you and I really discussed and related on when when we did our pre-call was you grew up in the Tenderloin in San Francisco (laughs) and wanted to be an astronaut. And when I spent time in San Francisco, you did not want to walk around the Tenderloin. So I'm guessing it's gotten a little bit better than when you grew up, but can you kind of paint the scene for our listeners of what wow. is that neighborhood like and how did that idea of becoming an astronaut get into your head?
1: Yeah. Thank you for that, Mallory. And, uh, what an honor to be here. Um, that truly is. Uh, let's see. I have always, I should always ask uh, what rating this show is at. So if it's G or not, but <laughs> you can swear, I swear all time you can, you know, okay. Well, you know, the scene, um, uh, quite frankly, hasn't changed unfortunately. Uh, in the daytime, probably a little bit better appearance, but the night, it's uh, unfortunately similar. I mean, for me, as I as I grew up in the heart of the Tenderloin, um, every day was about survival. Quite frankly, and making sure I get home alive um, every day. And so, in my the very corner that I grew up uh, in uh, uh, was in fact one of the main corners for prostitutes, um, and and um, regularly. Uh, what now I, of course, know at the time, I didn't quite know who they were, but they're, they're um, you know, pimps that um, were incredibly aggressive, incredibly mean, um, you know, what they would just do um, night after night after night. Um, and, you know, this is sort of outside my window, seeing, trying to figure out what is going on. What is all this happening? what Why are they standing on the corner? You know, why is someone driving up and, and, and physically attack? Um, women. Um, And it just, it just blows my mind thinking, where's anyone for help? There's no one there. Um, And right next door to my, where we grew up in the apartment was an adult store, triple X. So we're we're right next to an adult store. Um, Again, all all these things, you just, you'd never want any kid to grow up in this area, but uh, you know, we had no choice and uh, my family did the best they could. um, But between gangs, who frequently walked to the towns, that Tenderloin area, uh, to pimps, to hook, to uh, uh, you know, prostitutes, um, and 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 drug dealers. All it's all normal. It, there was no, if I wanted to buy anything, I wanted, I, I I had no no objection. There was no reason why I couldn't get it. Uh, I didn't, but it was all available, all accessible, um, and so it was just a matter of survival. Now, fortunately, I would say that um, generally, other than the gangs. Um, everyone left the little kids alone. You know, we'd come walk out to the little stores, a little couple stores there. We'd we'd walk out to. Um, um, there's a story. If there's time, I certainly will, there's an interesting story that sort of goes into defining a bit of who I am today. Go for it. Um, Go for it. We got and so, time. And, and then I'll come to the astronaut piece, which is which is also interesting. But the. Um, One of the one nights were particularly at back then in Chicago probably still has these. There's these old time, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s. You might remember those little 911 call boxes in the corners. Uh, They're like in old movies. They're real. They still exist. They don't function anymore now. But we had them in San Francisco in the corners. Um, And you'll break the little glass and you click the little thing down and the emergency comes. Um, One night, go out with a friend of mine. Uh, We were in elementary school. I can't remember if we were, you know, eight or nine years old. Um, and we walk out and immediately to our right, my right is this adult store. normally the doors open twenty four seven that's how they operate um and one day the doors closed, and we and I immediately thought, well, that's odd that's never been closed, um which of course gives you an indication that and I as a kid, you know you it just you, you poke in there you're like, what's going on in there who's in there um and I just turned my head There's the door's closed I'm thinking that's odd, it's never closed. Uh, we go to the corner store, grab some candy, whatever we were buying. We come back. And as we approach our entrance, um, the door is now open. And the gentleman, I guess, that was working there is, is laying on the floor outside the door, hand on his chest. And he had just been stabbed. Um, blood was gushing out um, to, to a way that I had not seen, as a, of course, as a child. Uh, not oozing, but it was rushing out because it was in his heart. Steam was coming out. I remember vividly all the details. Um, and I froze and I thought, oh my gosh, uh, how do I help? Um, I'm, I'm helpless as an eight, nine year old. And he was asking for help. And it was just myself and my friend. That's it. Um, within a few seconds, I, I believe, um, I, I somehow, I don't know how, but I immediately clicked in the gear, ran over to the corner to try to break that glass. It's a small, tiny glass. And, and the smaller size you get, it's harder to break glass. Um, and it's fairly thick, which sort of doesn't make sense for emergency, but that's how it is. I could not break it. I tried. I tried. I tried. it. And, and of all the people to come help me, there was a prostitute in the corner there that said, what are you doing? She's, I said, the man just has been stabbed over there. He needs help. He's bleeding. She took off her heel, broke the glass, um, unfortunately it was delayed by, by the time police and ambulance came, it was, it was too late, but you know, they were there all night doing the investigation and so forth. And in the morning we leave for for school, um, and there's still a, a dry trail of, of everything there, um, as a memory of what that night was. So that, that, what it did for me is it stuck in my head that I never, ever want to be helpless. I don't want to be in a position where I cannot help someone, um, and, I believe that's the reason why I ended up becoming a medical, a medic and a firefighter for 15 um, years in Houston is, is that driving me to never be in a position where I couldn't help another human. So that's, that's that piece of it. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll switch as a quick switch on the astronaut piece Um, uh, one day I was coming home from school with my mom and, um, I was six years old. So this was probably a couple of years before that incident I just shared with you. Um, And it was daytime, and I remember distinctly walking into the into the uh, apartment, looking up, and I saw uh, full moon, broad daylight, full moon. And I don't know why, but I looked up and I said, I just got laser locked on that on that object, and I thought, I'm gonna walk on that moon. I want to walk on that moon. I know it sounds silly. It's a straight. That's all it is. It wasn't anything magical, Um, you know, spectacular and and uh, and dramatic. It was just me looking up and saying. I'm going to walk on that moon. And from that moment forward, it was it. Every action, every breath, every decision was always about how do I get to be an astronaut? And I think
0: what's so interesting is that you worked for 20 years as a senior human space flight engineer at NASA. You supported over 50 space shuttle missions, including the space shuttle Columbia accident investigation in 2003. As a kid growing up in the Tenderloin, you weren't handed opportunities. You weren't in a place that necessarily a community or neighborhood that fostered that dream. Um, And you also experienced like prejudice and racism, like through that journey, what helped you get there? Because anyone to get to NASA, it's like, I can't believe you did it, but the odds were stacked against you. Was it your parents' encouragement? Was it that drive that you just said, like, I want to walk on the moon? Um, what did that look like for you?
1: Wow, uh, I would. Um, uh, you you point t- touched on something. I've I've been joking with some friends recently about uh, you know once you want to write a book and and I've said what should I title this book and uh, and it finally came to me and the title is going to be um, I don't belong here. Um, because there's so it. many things in my life, right? I love it. I love it.
0: That's going to be the title of this episode for you. If that's, if that, if that is, if that's good, like, because I just, absolutely that is so spot on, like knowing your story and I'm excited for listeners to hear it. Like, it's just so unbelievable. I love it.
1: Yes. Thank you. And I, and, and it, and there's at every moment, um, roadblocks in front of me that, um, um, just didn't want me to get to the next step. Just did not want to. Every single place I went, it seemed like I had worked five times harder than anybody else um, uh, to get anywhere I needed to get to. But but I guess it's worth, the The juice was definitely worth the squeeze, if you will. Uh, but I, I would say that, you know, how do I get from the Tenderloin? Um, I, I honestly am, am um, I, I don't really know. I, I know that what was, what the drive in me has been the stubborn. I know I have like three brain cells and the three because there's a tiebreaker. I need the tiebreaker. But the the thing that I at KC has in his DNA is he's stubborn. When he makes his mind up, he's going to move forward and he's either going to, uh, you know, ask people for help or get out of the way. He's going to build that door. And um, I'm going to find a way to get to make a way to make that happen uh, in an ethical, moral and legal way, um, because I've had so many people tell me that I cannot do something that I want to show them that I can. Um, and for various reasons, they've told me this. I, I, It's been that stubborn commitment to prove people wrong, but a personal, its it's not just that, but it's that I want to do it and say, why would anybody not want to help me? Why would any human not want to just, I want to achieve this big thing. Why do you put up roadblocks and crush me down when you just want to help me? And so it's just, it fed and fed in this fire in me that is almost like that, that I'm, I'm gasping for oxygen and that um, that drive to keep moving forward was the next oxygen I had to um, uh, in order to get that next uh, gasp of oxygen. So it really was this commitment for me and every step I did um, uh, was always aligned to, to getting me from point A to point B and a and, uh, and journey to astronaut. So you uh, know, a couple of examples, I, I played football in, in high school I was the smallest kid on the team, tiny, tiny guy. um, But I was the fastest because I was scared as heck. And so I would move like a rabbit. Um, And these were, I'm I'm telling you, massive, massive guys. Um, You know, I would get crushed every day, um, hurt, pain. And I still went into the locker room every single day. And I put that uniform on knowing that I was going to get crushed. Um, It was just me. I had no... Family, no support there. I was on my own. Um, no buddy in the team. It was just me. And and every day I still remember um, um, slowly putting the from it on and being um, questioning myself, saying, "Why am I doing this?" Yet I would still put it on, even though I it would I would put it on slowly because I was fearing getting crushed. I did it every single day. I just I didn't know any other way not to do that. And um, uh, you know that that's just something early on. Uh, fast forward a little bit further on to my journey to NASA. Uh, I went to Cal Poly uh, undergraduate in California. And uh, when time came for me to uh, begin that journey to NASA, I thought, well, the first step is be an intern. That's the first step in the door. There there are uh, 10 centers across, 10 NASA centers across America. Each one has its own particular purpose. It's not like a Walmart. They don't do all the same thing. So when that time came for me, I called up NASA in Houston, which is where astronaut headquarters is. Um, and I said, I'm, I go to Cal Poly. I'd love to uh, application. They refused. They would not send me one, which blows your mind away. Um, now I will say it's not because of necessarily KC, but it's, they said, well, Oh, you go to Calif- You're in California. You need to apply to the NASA centers there. And I said, well, but they don't do what you do. I don't want to go there. Um, they refused still. I called them 15, 20 times. They finally gave me an application, I think out of um, frustration. They thought I'd go away. I called them again after I sent the application. Hey, I'd like to be interviewed. Are you going to interview? Am I getting selected? They said, you know, they give me the, 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 this, the, the Heisman and they put the hand and kind of give me this tactic of the delay tactic. I'd call 15 more times. Uh, finally got tired. They would interview me. So they think I'd go away. <laughs> uh, I didn't. They, and so I'd call again. Did you make the selection? I would call 15 more times. Um, I think eventually I just I just wore them down, and they finally uh, gave me the offer. I drive into I mean I mean I'm like kid in a candy store. I'm packing up my kid. You know this is like out of a movie. My car is packed. I've got all this stuff in the car, and here's this kid driving 35 hours nonstop with a bucket of caffeine straight from California to Texas. Uh, excited. I get to my first day with all the other interns and I look around and I go, man, that was one heck of a journey to get here. What was yours like? What was yours like? And you know what I heard? Every single one said, I just felt the application got in here and you got the job. Awesome. Uh so I was the only one that apparently went through that pain, but um you know it it was worth it in the end it just blows my mind away. So those are just some examples. Uh, I'll pause. I'll I'll be quiet for a minute.
0: So. <laughs> no, I mean, my jaw is on the floor because that would just infuriate me as someone who wanted it that badly that they made you jump through so many hoops because of a system that is so exclusive. Oh, you're in that state. So you have to stay there versus like, oh, you're driven. You're interested. You want to be here. I would think, a national government-run organization would want the best of the best, regardless if you're from California, Alaska, or the state of Maine, whoever, if that's the area where they want specialized. I personally, if I'm getting sent up in, into space, I want the best of the best there, not just someone who filled out an application, interviewed, and got it. So you 100%. Uh
1: <laughs> I mean we'll we'll get into a little bit more about NASA but um Absolutely. Now I, w- I will say that fortunately they've changed that policy now. So <laughs>
0: Good. Uh, I'm happy that they're okay with crossing state lines now. <laughs> when that intern year ended and you went back to school, did you say I I'm ready to double down. I want I really do want to be here or was there any hesitation, or did you know that after that intern experience, that was the place for you?
1: Oh, it was uh, the moment I walked uh, onto the property. Uh, I knew that this was this was my destiny, where I wanted to be. And in fact, um, the, when I I did the internships, <clears throat> um, um, what you do is you go to school one semester and you go to intern one semester, and you go back and forth until you graduate. So it's not just a summer thing. So I would I would intern. F- uh, four times, back and forth, back and forth, um, and uh, committed, absolutely determined. In fact, I was ready to not go back to school and say, "I just want to stay and can I just work?" Of course, that didn't, that couldn't happen. Um, and so, really grateful for uh, those opportunities and those experiences during the internship. Um, fully committed to the mission, fully committed to the purpose, uh, knowing that that was my my home. Um, I Uh, towards end of graduation uh, of undergrad, uh, generally speaking, up to that point, decades prior, you're, if you're an intern, you're almost guaranteed the job, as long as you didn't, uh, you know, screw up. Um, You're basically going to guarantee that job. That's a a nice, sure way to get into a full-time job. Well, history has it that, ironically, when I graduated undergrad, um, uh, the government shut down, because uh, of budget issues. This was the uh, 1995, the fight between Newt Gingrich and President Clinton. Uh, it was one of the longest shutdowns in American modern history uh, of government shutdowns. So what it was right when I was graduating, the shutdown happens. And so all the hiring was free, frozen. Go figure, right? I was, I was only one semester early, it would be no problem. Well, um, we didn't know how long it was going to be. They didn't know how long. It wasn't a normal couple days shutdown. It was painful. Um, I was uh, faithful. So I said, you know what? I know it's going to happen. I'm going to pack up and I'm going to move to Texas. Um, I'm, I'm just going to wait it out. Um, I'll, I'll figure it out. Um, I'll do handyman work, painting, grass cutting, which is what I did. Um, I had some great friends at NASA that helped uh, me, kept me employed, if you will, to pay the bills. Um, um, it was about two, two months um, of non-decision, believe it or not. Very painful. And I was told uh, by my boss that I was the number one priority amongst the interns in that division area, uh, in the spacesuit area. Um, And so I thought, perfect, they're going to get one hire and it's going to be me. Um, So I've just got to hang in there. Two months go by, um, you know, day after day, I'm waiting for that phone call, waiting for that phone call. Eventually the two months and I get this phone call, this message, and I'm listening to the message and the message is I did not get it. Um, and so my heart fell, thought, how can this be, uh, they the division was getting one slot and I know it's going to be me. I was told it was going to be me. And, um, uh, it turns out that the second person got it, uh, great person, uh, uh, you know, we're good, we're friends. Um, and for a variety of reasons, I was not the person. So, um, I said, well, you know what? I'm not giving up, I got hit here this far. Guess what NASA, you're not getting rid of me now because I've been down this path. So what options do I have? And so I'm gonna continue internship. And so they they felt so bad for me, which was good, that they said, we're gonna give you a continued internship slot as a graduate student but you gotta go to graduate school somewhere. And I'd already planned on doing that. So now I just had to accelerate. So I quickly got on the phone Called the only local university, University of Houston, and and essentially said, "Look, I need to, I need help getting admitted to graduate program. Here's all my grades and all that stuff, and I need to, I need some help to accelerate this." Um, um, Fortunately, I had some. There were some good people there. They were able to, um, you know, walk me through the process and get me in. I was uh, accepted into the grad program. I immediately went back. uh, was Was able to start my internship as a graduate student, and that began a a two year journey to finish grad school while interning. So I kept the clock going, kept this, uh, kept this option live. And I just had to, you know, cross my fingers that in two years, there weren't going to be another government shutdown. So, um, you know, two years go by. um, And about the time I'm graduating uh, graduate school, uh, there happens to be a budget issue that was uh, brewing. (laughs) So I was frightful uh, and I thought, no problem. I'm going to go on a PhD. I'm going to keep interning. Um, but fortunately, um, the budget issue did happen, but they were able to get a few more folks through. And I was one of those, uh, through that I had that phone call in the, in the lab, in the grad school. And I got the call, picked it up, didn't know who it was going to be. And it was going to be the guy at the other end of NASA. And I, and my, as soon as I knew heard his voice, my heart dropped. And I thought, what is he going to say? <laughs> and he finally, and then he, he did say, don't worry, Casey, we got you in, uh, and we're making this offer to you. And so it was like the joyous moment.
0: So you finally made NASA's payroll, like you finally right. got on the payroll officially and not as an intern. I'm curious, I don't even know this, how many people start in the astronaut program and how many actually get launched into space? Like, what does that number yeah, ratio so look, look like?
1: Ooh, um, so back, uh, you know, back during when I went, which was during the space shuttle days. so it's different than today. Um, because of space shuttle schedules the, you know the intent was to launch at least um, two to three and in some cases there was a plan to launch at least six or seven a year that never happened really a couple times but uh, three to four launches a year uh, which is not a lot you know seven between five to seven astronauts per shuttle mission um, and uh, of course um, the the math if you do the math is that a, the really, really lucky, which is a word I'll use, they are lucky, they're good people, but they're lucky. Uh, the lucky astronauts will generally get in their career as an astronaut, which is a, probably around um, 15 years, let's say, if, if you stick around that long, 15 to 20 years, you're, you, you're like, you can get three. Um, uh, there's very few that have gotten four or five missions. That's extremely rare. I would say the the average is probably two, um, um, between one to two, actually, uh, you know, so you may get one mission in a 10 year window um, because there's so many people in the pipeline that they need to fly and they want to fly. Um, it just may not come around that your time may not come around. So you're off doing other missions. You know, there's always astronauts um, participating in various um uh, design meetings. They're 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 part of the the team across NASA. So they do they have other functions and jobs um, while they're waiting on their mission. But you know, I would say one to two missions in their career during
0: this time that you were officially at NASA. Is this also when you started with the Navy as well? During this time, did that overlap at all?
1: It did. It uh, very very close starting points for both of those. I uh, because my. Uh, Father is U.S. Army. That that, uh, as I grew up, that became part of my DNA. I knew service was somewhere in there um, on the the uniform side. You know, I I did ROTC in in high school. Um, I just didn't know how to do that and be and do NASA at the same time. So, um, as I started um, NASA officially uh, in '98, um, concurrently to that, I had actually been applying. Uh, to become an officer in the Navy in the reserves. I had done some research and figured out which branch, which services are, are better for the reserve side. Navy was uh, a no brainer for me. Um, The uh, world is 7% water. And so, you know, Navy kind of uh, is a no brainer for me at least. So I love uh, the the pursuing the Navy piece. Uh, I had some great friends that um, gave me some suggestions on how to pursue the Navy uh, reserve opportunity. So I applied. It's very competitive. Um, uh, it required an advanced degree. So I really couldn't do anything until my master's was done. Um, but I could get all the, the package ready. So I worked on my application, my Navy application for almost three years, uh, My my application packet, when everything was all set, and we got and we had all the stuff in there, the graduate degree was done, I had some other qualifications I wanted to put in there. When all that was done, we wanted to stack the odds on my favor. Um, we, we pushed the package in, and then within um, a year after starting NASA, I was grateful to have gotten selected that particular year. They had 400 applicants for this particular program, and uh, they only selected four. Um, so I was incredibly uh, blessed and just fortunate to be one of those four.
0: I had no idea it was that competitive I at all. So that's something new I'm learning right now, which is interesting. You made it to the final round for NASA for being able to be an official astronaut. But the journey there was when we spoke about it previously, I left that conversation. My heart hurt for you that you went through so much bullshit. I think that's like the best way to kind of put it. I'm going to let you kind of dive a little bit deeper in this, but it really disappointed me that at the top program that's run through the government that you look at as astronauts and you would think that was on the up and up and maybe that's a naive way of looking at any corporation or any organization. Kind of what you went through really stuck with me. Would you mind sharing what that was like with listeners?
1: Sure. Thank you, Mallory, for that question. I I would say that um so stepping back of of that journey, um that extensive research that I have done between you know, middle school, high school, college, You know, looked at every astronaut in history and tried to put together a pattern, um, some understanding of what are some things that can be done that are unique, that make them stand out, uh, other than the obvious of just an advanced degree, a PhD, a pilot. Um, and I couldn't, nothing popped out. There was nothing that really stood out and I just kept scratching my head thinking, why, why is it so hard? I couldn't figure this out and I, you know, who, who am I to guess, uh, second guess, right? So I just keep, keep trying. Um, as I worked at NASA, I continued to ask astronauts who are friends, there's some still friends of mine that, hey, give me a little inside tip, come on, be a, be a, be a pal. Um, and they would all say, Casey, I have no idea. And I'm like, the guy's a jerk, he's not telling me anything. Um, turns out he was right. So uh, you know, as I continued to apply every two, three years, I take applications, so I kept applying and applying. And uh, and uh, my view, as I looked at all the applicants or all of the astronauts, um, I sort of in my own head started to think about, well, why don't I see X, Y, Z backgrounds in their resume? Maybe those are opportunities for me to add and grow my own resume. And that would stand out because I don't see it anywhere. Uh, for and, and it was a personal passion of mine. I, uh, for example, I became a firefighter. I became a medic. Uh, a scuba diver. I became a pilot. Um, so all these things that my own personal passion.
0: So pretty um, much what you're saying is in case of emergency, like you're the guy <laughs> to go to land, water or sea pretty much is. I,
1: I'm, I'm, well, uh, I, I can definitely give you great company. Let's say yeah, that okay. uh, if you call me. So, <laughs> um, I can tell a few jokes, but the, uh, it was personally satisfying to me. It was something that fulfilled me. And it just became something that was, I felt beneficial to the astronaut corps. Think of a, you're in a, in a capsule that's, that cannot be reached. Um, you know, the ability to make split second decisions, life or death, I thought would be valuable, um, i.e. such as a medic who makes decisions on the fly within moments of someone's death on a scene, um, which I've had to do many times, are things that, make me a a a a calm collective individual to make those decisions um, for for important reasons so i i i did all these things in my journey i uh, personally they were satisfying i thought that would be incredibly valuable for someone that uh, is an astronaut Um, so i did these things that i applied um, to increase my chances Um, parallel to that of course as you noted i was in the navy i'm in the navy um, I also knew it was my time eventually to go to Iraq and Afghanistan, which I, I did, and they were fundamentally what changed the course of my life. So 15 months in Iraq, um, and it was the hardest job in my life, uh, still is. And I've had some hard jobs. The Columbia Action Investigation you mentioned earlier was incredibly hard. Um, uh, but but certainly the one in Iraq was was, uh, was very hard. I was um, a key individual in charge of helping looking for our U.S. service members that were captured and abducted by very bad people. So prisoners of war, POWs, um, that was my my task. It fundamentally changed who I am by going through those experiences um, on a on a very, very important mission. Um, Seeing the things that I'd done, coming close to not coming home on so many occasions made me rethink my priorities in life. Um, And uh, and so between Iraq and then coming back for a year, going to redeploy to Afghanistan, this time with Naval Special uh, Warfare and Naval mega seals uh, had also life-changing experiences for me that deployment in the between the afghanistan one is when i received that email of a lifetime that i got made it to the final round it was about 6500 applicants that year 2012 um, and i made it to the final round of 120 that they bring in uh, personally for a week-long interview super excited of course in the candy store again incredibly blessed now i had to find a way to go from a battle to battle zone to a uh, interview of your lifetime, back to a battle zone, only 10 days, you know, got it back and forth. Not easy to tell the boss, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'll be back in 10 days, boss. Um, Not quite easy to leave, leave a battlefield and a mission, but I had great bosses who totally got it and they supported me, Um, made this, you know, essentially a planes, trains, and automobile journey. That was in itself a chapter of a book, Uh, get to the interview. uh, And what's interesting, another piece, uh, which I thought was, it's ironic is uh, uh, one of the things that they ask you in uh, preparations for the interview is uh, you've got to submit this medical form. Well, you know, got I've done that every year, plenty of medical stuff. So I got to do this medical form, and it has to be signed by a particular kind of physician, um, an aerospace physician. That's the standard. That's fine. Um, well, that's no problem if you're in the states and you're looking for that kind of person. Kind of hard to find that person in a combat zone. So I'm. I figured they're gonna be reasonable, right? They're gonna be reasonable. Uh, so I I, I call because different time zones and you know we're working long days. Uh, you know it's not it's not like I'm working nine to five shift in the, in a combat zone. So it's just it's just wank wacky schedules, um, and you're mentally kind of drained in different spots. So finally get connected with the medical side of of NASA to explain the situation. Here's where I'm in Afghanistan. I'm in you know in in the combat zone. Uh, it's not quite easy to find this particular kind of, I got, I got other docs, just not that particular kind of doc that is at my tip of my, my finger. Would they be flexible? And out of my surprise, the, the, the senior doc there, the uh, overseeing all this said, Oh, well, if you really want to get very bad, you're going to get, find a way to, to find that person. Gee, fucking thank you.
0: <laughs> so It's like you're serving your country in a combat zone. I promise you I'm healthy like to say that it's kind of like <laughs> you're in Texas in the safety of your own home. I'm serving our country, and like you can't allow a different doctor who's here to sign off on it. It that's like I don't know. That's just not being empathetic
1: to the situation. Uh, it, it it just blew my mind away. Guess what? I found a way, of course. Uh, right? Someone it it fired me up to say you gotta be kidding me. I'm not going to let that be a roadblock. I'm going to find a way to make the damn thing happen, which I did. It was, um, not easy, but I made it happen. Um, so I, you know, got to the interview. Um, it was a great experience certainly, but what was interesting is, is as I, the week long is mostly medical tests, some psychological battery tests. Um, and then ultimately it culminates into this, this, um, quintessential one-hour interview with a room full of about 20 or so uh, or 25 in the room it's just you and 25 um, senior executives across NASA and um, half executives half astronauts all in this room and it's the exact same process not just the interview but the whole week that has been in place for almost five decades same process and the interview has been the exact same. It's been written about um, on many blogs and so forth. So it's the exact same. And so the process hasn't changed, which kind of made me, makes me think, uh, realize going, well, that's it? What is going on here? Um, how have you not evolved with time? I mean, it's an HR process essentially on steroids. And if you don't evolve with society or take advantage of, of how to implement innovative strategies to get the best of the best people, Um, you become irrelevant outdated. And the only place you can get away with that is the government. So any company that does that today will not exist. Um, So they get away with it. They decide that they don't need to change for some reason. It's very unfortunate. Um, um, And the hour-long interview is sort of this crescendo. That's the moment to shine is this interview. It's nerve-wracking. You get it, you sit in there. It's packed. It's a small room, so it's very stuffy. Um, and it's a, the table is a T-shape, two tables in a T-shape, and uh, and it's infamously known as where the interviewee sits, I would sit at the armpit of, of the T. Uh, and so you sit there, and it's an hour long period at the 60 minutes, no matter where you are in the sentence, it's done, you're out the door. Um, so, what they do, it's a very open-ended. They say, tell us your life story. You can start wherever you want. You can spend 55 minutes talking about elementary school or you can talk about the, the journey of your life and you know, it's up to you how you prioritize. So I prepped for this, of course. I shared highlights of my life experiences, both uh, civilian, military, uh, personal, to try to really give them a glimpse of who I who I was. Um, I thought I did a fairly decent job and, and left about, I believe, 10 minutes or so for some Q&A. Um, Got some good questions. And one particular question um, I did not expect and I knew exactly where this person was was trying to head to. And and it it did catch me off guard in a very um, bullshit way, I guess, you know, in a very unfortunate way. It had been. um, uh, Let's see, it had been uh, almost 10 years since the Columbia Action Investigation. Um, And at that time, I was in charge of the uh, astronauts launch survival system suit. Um, And so the fact that they were wearing my suit, my team suit on the way home, personally impacted me that that my system couldn't protect them, it couldn't keep them alive. It was not designed for that scenario. I know that. But it doesn't mean I can't say why the hell didn't we save them. Um, And I always will still still do that. But those moments were rough. Those moments were tough. Everyone wanted to help. Everyone is, was trying to f- just make sense of this whole thing. Astronauts were involved, of course, as they should be. And so there was this one particular astronaut that uh, even prior to this, um, um, you know, has had a reputation for basically being the one person in, in the entire astronaut office. There's about 100 and, at the time, uh, 130 astronauts. So uh, this one person just has this reputation for, you know um uh, yes being a very particular and a stickler but also being um incredibly um rude aggressive um He's an asshole. uh she oh yes. she okay <laughs> she's
0: an asshole yes
1: yes very much um inc- very much so and so during you know so you have someone that's like that in a normal time and then in a stressful scenario right, it becomes worse and and so um, my mission, my team's purpose was clear of how to try to find those first few days, first few hours of, of the astronaut of the Columbia accident investigation or Columbia mission is we're going to try and look for them. You know, even though we know that they didn't make it, we're going to look for their, we're going to find everybody, uh, everybody part and bring them home honorably. And so we had certain methods and our, my job was to do that. Well, this person kept, uh, injecting in and, and, Um, not letting me do my job and my team's job. I was just as passionate, just as deeply hurt, just as committed to finding the crew as this person was. And and so we naturally had some rifts. Um, The years after that, um, as we prepared to return the space shuttle back to flight, it took about three years to get a shuttle back to flight. There were a lot of things going on and I had interactions with this person regularly. Um, We had a few riffs regularly on other things. It's just how our relationship was, um, unfortunately. Well, interview comes, guess who's in the room is this person. (laughs) And of all the questions this person says, essentially presents a scenario to me that is exactly the ones that occurred 10 years prior. Um, You know, if you have, if you've made a decision that was, Did something that was uh, upsetting, or um, um, how would you make a certain decision um, if it results in a um, disagreement with the astronaut office, for example? Um, You know, would you still make the decision or or not? It was something of that effect that essentially was replicating what happened ten years ago, um, putting me on the spot and saying, you basically. Uh, Didn't know what you were doing. You made a decision that or you did things that were um, not consistent with what the astronaut office wanted to do, i.e. her, um, not the office. Um, And uh, basically wanted me to defend my decisions 10 years ago. That's really what the question was for, was putting me in a spot where I would defend and justify what I did 10 years ago. And guess what? I defended my decision 10 years ago and I said I would do it again. Because my priority is your safety, every one of you, as the astronauts in here, that is my priority, and that's what keeps me awake at night. Is that did I make the right decisions for you? Because guess what, I want you to go home to your families. That is that's all that drives me. Is I want you to go home to your families. Um, I, I just thought it was absolutely fucking bullshit for her to bring that up ten years later. It was just it was it was immature, unnecessary, and, uh, and irrelevant.
0: And I, I wish in that situation, like when you left the room after your 60 minutes, that like the other individuals in that room could have been like, realized he's an asshole and that it's just to disregard or to realize there's a grudge or something where it's like, let's maybe not have her answer or how you answered her have so much weight in the entire other aspect of this interview. The other thing that we kind of talked about is that you said that trying to get a seat at that table to get to that point to be in that room with twenty five people to get to that level it's hard enough, but that when you kind of reflected back, you were given it to kind of check a box, not necessarily because you really you had a shop, but like you also out of all the people who were there, you were so low on the list, but you were there to check a box. Am I paraphrasing that the right? You're right. Yeah,
1: I, I, absolutely. I, I'm I'm always proud and and honored to have gone to that point. That very oh, few Americans do. I think you should. But have you're
0: 100 gone right. I, just hearing <laughs> about like what all. I mean, I'm sorry. You've served overseas. You scuba, uh, fire, medic, all these aspects. And obviously you're very smart to be able to get to this level and all these degrees. In my mind, I w- I'll i go up to space with you. So for me, I'm like, how much better could anyone else be in that group where you don't have like a fair shot kind of blows my mind.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, know, what's interesting about around that uh, great point, actually is, is what, also, is sort of counterintuitive, which is um, uh, the I uh, and, and uh, the other, um, there are a few others, I think there were NASA employees of the 120 um, that got a shot. Um, what's interesting, though, is the fact that I worked there demonstrates that, that you know, I didn't want to go to corporate world. Nothing wrong with those who go to corporate and, and make more money, et cetera. We didn't make as much money there, but I decided that NASA was my, my commitment and my passion. And uh, and so I wanted to to be there. Um, the fact that I was there meant everyone in the NASA uh, and I, I, you know, got to a point where I, I most people at NASA knew who I was um, uh, because of the things that I was involved with, etc. I got to my uh, was able to get my name out there. But um, and that's a good thing. And what that means, though, is everyone knows the chapters of my book. They know multiple chapters of Casey where the majority of the interviews that come, all they know is their paper, their resumes, um, their references, right? You really don't know the chapters beyond the cover of the book. Well, you know every chapter of KC, you know what I stand for, you know what, I, um, what I'm driven by, how committed I am, all those chapters. You would think that that would be valuable and it's actually not valuable. It's actually used against you so those that they don't know much literally have a better shot than I, who worked there for you know 20 years and can demonstrate what is in my DNA.
0: Which is crazy to me. So I'm in marketing and part of me would think like your story, fighting to be an intern, the government spending all this. It's fine. I'll still be an intern and go to grad school from in my marketing PR brain. You would be a phenomenal poster child for NASA. Look at the journey. And now after 20 years, he's finally getting to like reach his goal and look at how he's supported NASA and helped NASA with this, that, everything else through the highs and the lows still came out. I would think they would want you on a speaking tour to kids and organizations because of that journey, you were committed and you kept growing on your own outside of it to become a better player inside the organization. But, 100%. You, you know, obviously it didn't happen. It's their loss. I know that probably doesn't take this thing <laughs> out of it, but what I really respect so much about you is that after all of this, you went on to write an article about the entire experience what made you decide to really share your story in a very vulnerable way not knowing how this group that you've kind of idolized and put blood sweat and tears into would feel about you sharing the dirty laundry uh,
1: I thought a lot about that and and I, and I, I don't um, I recognize that I, I while I have passion and emotion of, of, um, anger. It's not personal to anybody. It's, it's anger to the process, um, that is built in a way that is, uh, rigid and, uh, outdated, antiquated. So, uh, you know, my drive was really, how can I share something based on my experience that can be of value and positive benefit instead of a grudge, um, uh, you know, we're humans, we have, we make mistakes. And, and I, I, I don't, that's not going to help anybody necessarily. But I said, you know what, how do I turn this patch around and saying, look, all the decades of research I've done peeking behind the curtain, going through the process, who better than to than me to professionally buck the system. Um, and interestingly enough, I had asked a couple of my um, interview mates, if you will, because we're going groups, 120, they do it in groups of 20. So we become friends. Um, A few of those in my group actually got selected. Now I'm very grateful for, for that. But I asked some of the others, hey, you know, here's what I'm observing, everything I've done in my life and the research I've done and what I now saw and what you saw. Does any of that, like, bother you? And what's interesting is, No one wanted to join me. They were afraid to upset the system for their next shot and their next shot and their next shot, perhaps. Um, Ironically, I did get some side feedback from a few other NASA employees who had gone through the process years prior and they were pretty much done. They weren't going to apply again. So there's no loss for them. But they would private message me when I published these articles, 100% acknowledging my feedback. They go, wow, I'm glad someone did. Why does it take me? to do that I don't know why no one wanted to join me and I said fuck it you know I'm like I just thought what I want to do is say how do I make it better so I actually one of my articles was in fact a a sort of a blueprint a roadmap of how to create a better path for to to, uh, select better astronauts that are much more well-rounded and if NASA shares that to the world guess what it does it gives kids millions of kids who want to be an astronaut, a path, not a guarantee, but a path and NASA for free, not charge anybody. They can impact kids' futures by simply broadcasting this, this sort of model that says we want astronauts in the future to do this, 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 and this, and this. Every kid is going to jump on it and guess what they've done automatically for free. Most kids won't become astronauts, but what they've done is they've influenced the next generation of leaders in a way that they can for free talk about a no-brainer yet they don't do it
0: well i think it's really honorable that you just self-sacrifice yourself to not have another shot of going space but you started to clear the way for the younger generation to read your articles to understand all right this is what it might take And again, that's like another characteristic of someone I would want in space with me that they're willing (laughs) to do self-sacrifice to save or help, you know, the group. One thing that you did experience when you were in NASA was that 2003 space shuttle with Columbia. And I was 13 when that happened. And I remember watching and seeing and everything. You hit on it a little bit that you got that question during your interview, but what was that experience like? Because it it was public. You obviously knew the people there. I would think NASA has got to feel like a family, so you're losing your own, but how did you, I don't want to say forgive yourself because you weren't at fault, but I think everyone probably who had a hand in that mission probably felt some sort of guilt, some sort of I can't believe I'm still here and they're not. And that survivor's guilt, I would say, which I'm sure you also experienced when you were overseas serving. How did you process that?
1: I think I'm still processing that. Um, uh, it's probably the, 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 the first answer I would get. And uh, certainly much more of that, uh, you you're hit the nail on the head with the uh, Iraq and Afghanistan experiences, uh, much more painfully frequent that um every week you know there's more and more casualties um it just became numb but um which is easy for me to say I I, I came back to my family and, and so many other brothers and sisters did not uh, but for the for the Columbia piece you know it etched in our stone just like when we talk about where were you at nine eleven. 11 I I can recall moment by moment that morning um, the actions my team took, what I took, what was occurring, how my heart fell when we knew ultimately what was happening. Um, that just was completely, completely unexpected, of course, um, in, in the grandest way. Um, the, in those moments, it is important to uh, for leaders to um, remain focused, to bring the team together. Uh, knowing that there's going to be a tremendous amount of emotions at, at every level um, is to put the emotions aside uh, to the best of your ability and focus on what we train. We, and, and as a saying in the military, which is somewhat similar in the NASA uh, uh, vernacular, you can replace the word fight for something civilian. But in the military, we say train like you fight, fight like you train um, so that when those moments come, you know exactly you fall back on your training and you adjust uh, and execute going forward. Um, there's uh, incredibly tough times in, in the deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan. I had to had to do that very thing, um, you know, essentially um, de-emotion yourself um, from the from the moment, and and that's what we did in, in Colombia. Um, give credit to the the main leader in mission control, the flight director, who uh, kept everyone focused. Uh, that allowed us at the lower levels and my own team for me to lead my team and keep my team focused because I'm following suit uh, with that leader. Uh, we immediately went into um, uh, contingency um, checklists. You know, we, 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 the checklist that we'd never hoped to get to, we went to that checklist and began to execute the procedures calmly, carefully, and with precision um, Uh, knowing that there was tremendous amount of emotion everywhere around me, you know, having to keep everyone on the same page and focused with the, with the uh, with the idea that there, that we still had a job. There was still a small possibility that, that they are alive. So we need to make sure that we stay focused and begin execution of our checklist. Um, And everyone had their job and everyone was, uh, was off doing their things. Um, And as time went on, I'm talking hours, you know, time and measured in hours and, and then eventually days. Um, it became harder and harder to um, contain that emotion within the team and they have to address it, right? Because now the team becomes the patient um, in, in a sense. So how do you help them cope with what's going through their heads? Um, and it just becomes this unraveling effect of the team's emotions, psychology um, that uh, can turn into very bad things things if not if not managed correctly so um, I know it's a long way to answer your question but how do we cope with it how did I cope with it um is that as every moment was um questioning did we miss a step did we not do something did we um not prepare them the right way did we miss a procedure in a in, in one of their emergency trainings um you know, why the hell didn't they do X, Y, Z? Is it because of us? Um, what did we miss? And, and why didn't the suit protect them? That was, the, that was the, the fucking job of that suit. Why didn't it protect them? They had every chance. Um, um, you know, they did everything we believe now because I was part of the investigation. They took initial actions that we expected them to take, uh, evasive action. Uh, We have evidence that they took some of those actions. So they knew that things were very bad. A few of them did, maybe not all, but a few did. And they madly went to muscle memory and started to execute some of those steps. They just couldn't get far enough before it was too late.
0: And I think in that situation, both sides can be doing exactly what they need to be doing. But when something is happening and they're, Thousands of miles away, and there's still such there's always chance like I could be doing the exact same thing I do every single day, but um one misstep changes everything, and what just came to mind is there's this movie I love the um curious case of Benjamin Button, and they go through this like long thing of how sh- why she broke her leg, everything like if this person wasn't late or if this didn't happen right. or She didn't have such a tire shoe or whatever, then like one split second changes everything. And I think if you sit in the place of dwelling, one, it's unhealthy, but two, you'll drive yourself crazy. Mm -hmm. So it's been almost 20 years now since that tragic event. And I'm sure it still probably weighs on you. I think you can also probably go to sleep knowing like you really did everything you could within your you know, power to try to get them home.
1: Yes. That's, that's the ultimate, um, you know, reality answer. Um, Doesn't mean that I have to like it. It, Yeah.
0: It doesn't mean that it makes anyone feel better. or makes you feel better. It just, I was thinking about when I was preparing to speak with you, when you see the NASA logo now, what, what do you feel? What does it bring to mind for you?
1: Um it's funny you asked that question i uh, not necessarily the logo piece but the the intent of that question i had been thinking about um in the last couple of weeks uh because of, of recent news uh where the artemis mission and the rocket that is now in space now on a way back from the moon um which is going to take humans back to the to the moon in a couple of years you know and so that whole watching that process um, because I'm still a, a you know, rocket scientist by heart. I'm still a geek. Um, that still is who I am. I love NASA and what we do. And I believe in human space flight. I do tend to, to question um, the how uh, NASA does human space flight and, and what they should be doing perhaps to to make it uh, more accessible, better, uh, more exciting for for the public at large because they, you need the public to support them. And and it this wave of emotions came up to me of because I really recently got re reengaged with watching this launch and feeling like the old days the good old days when I was there at the launch and I knew exactly what was happening and you know it just got me excited about the the idea of this launch. Um, on the flip side, I, I I will say admittedly that I I I do have a little bit of um, anger um, that because this mission is about humans spaceflight, it's not just a, a rocket taking a satellite up it's a rocket that's preparing for the crew and of course in my head and i'm I'm the competitive guy like i need i should be on that rocket that should be me in that seat in a couple of years um, that should be me um, i wasn't given the proper opportunity um that should be me and and that's just a personal thing it's not it's it not coming across as immature it's just me as a human recognizing um, uh, the, the the shot that I, I should have been um, um, not guaranteed. I'm not asking a guarantee again. It's about giving them a fair shot. And, uh, you know, you go back to the Apollo days back in the early days before shuttle. So the 60s and 70s, those astronauts, incredibly competitive, all military pilots. And they'll tell you today till 80, 90 years old, they'll still gig the other guy and say, I should have been on the mission, not you on that mission. They'll still like hit and <laughs> make fun of each other because they're incredibly competitive as, as even in the age of 80 and 90. Um, and, and, and to me, um, I, I'm, I'm excited. I get energized about it. Uh, but I also feel when, when it comes to human spaceflight, um, I haven't shook and free that, that stickiness still from what has happened. Um, I don't know if I ever will. I, I just don't know. It's it's not it's not uh, a grudge. It's not a grudge. That's not the word. I think it's just it's, a personal feeling that.
0: I know. I was just gonna say. I think it's hard when you know you're fully capable of doing it. You just weren't given the shot. Yeah. When you know I could handle anything that came my way, I'm prepared. I physically, mentally, you know, psychologically, you could handle any task. You just weren't given a shot, and I think that's actually harder. Than failing because you just never got that chance that's a hard pill to swallow
1: yeah absolutely and you know life's not fair I get it uh it's it's how it works um so uh, life the doesn't owe me anything um you know I'm I'm, I owe life everything so uh doesn't mean that I still don't have those feelings as as you mentioned certainly um and, and I would say that the other the other piece of um impact that that gets me riled up as well as I watch it um, is I go back to my article that I wrote a couple articles that I wrote back 10 years ago uh, or like five, seven, eight years ago was, um, you know, what else? So if NASA puts together this um, proper model for what an astronaut ought to be, these attributes, uh, these acumens, um, well, the other piece that's important is to get public support, which is always a challenge for NASA. When I was at NASA in Houston, literally, I would walk across the street from NASA to a store down the street. And most people down the street uh, did not know NASA existed. They're literally across the street. Um, They didn't care, they didn't know. Um, Just across Houston, um, you go to a store with a NASA shirt on something and they're like, oh, you work at NASA, where's NASA? What do you mean, where's NASA? It's in Houston. I, I can't tell how many times I came across that. It's so prevalent. It and and that by itself um, could, tells you that 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 at a large scale, right? The public has the last time NASA had energy was the Apollo days when we went to the moon, right? So that so I've told people this that NASA has rode and continues to ride the public wave from the Apollo days. And eventually that wave's going to die. And so this Artemis perhaps is another kick. But what's interesting is, again, back to the whole free thing that NASA could do to help inspire kids and next generation. So in addition to what I mentioned earlier, if you look back, astronauts, again, they only fly one to twice in their career, maybe three times at most. They're doing all kinds of other things. They are The Space Ambassadors for Human Space. Speaking, they
0: need to be going on a speaking tour. Like they need a rebrand, NASA. If someone is listening, I'm in marketing, give me a call. Let's like rebrand, get you guys going. Because honestly, you can inspire a whole new generation in STEM. It will be great goodwill internationally. So people don't hate us as much, but more so you want to get people excited about it because that's where tax dollars go. And if I'm paying for it, I want to know, how are you training? How are you encouraging more? Opening up more internships for underprivileged or underserved communities. Mm-hmm. Getting interns to go into these communities. And what are you doing? Are you you know, giving money or helping with your time in schools and sciences? NASA, let's remarket, rebrand. Casey and I got you. Like, give us a call. We'll, you know, work 100%, this. Hundred
1: percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. brand. I tell you this. And so, what's interesting is NASA does go out. Obviously, engineers. I, when I was NASA, I'd go to to give speaking gigs as an engineer. I would go, and and they encourage employees to go and do these things because that's their that's their workforce. But the impact is different when you have an astronaut that comes. So, as NASA does send astronauts to. Uh, talk to kids. But here's the the thing that's interesting, um, uh, that the majority of the time spent that astronauts do public speaking with kids is talking to STEM kids. So you would say, well, that makes sense. Why not? And I would say, no, 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 that's wrong. Um, I would say you should spend the minority time with stem because there's only limited bandwidth so only so many astronauts how do you and go how do you spread that? The majority with lunch? those
0: who love literature or poetry or psychology to get
1: them involved. To get them involved. Why do you spend time to people that already believe in stem? They're already in your camp. You don't need to convince them. Yeah. But the majority of America, 90 plus percent are not those kids. That's where the impact is. You need to look differently and not look the same.
0: You almost need to like partner with the NBA or NFL or like, you know, the teams to kind of get that cross branding. I like to call it cross pollination. But the other thing too is you need people who think differently because what I love yo-yo ma has his silk road and he talks about how important it is to get artists from different cultures who play different instruments because when you're trained differently and you guys come together as a whole you can solve problems so much more effectively than if you were let's say like all stem so maybe there's someone who's more of like a psychology marketing or really understands like football plays i don't know but they're going to think differently than those who are only do chemistry or physics. And that is what makes us stronger when you have different thinkers or different problem solving skills in a room. Maybe they won't go up in space, but I mean, clearly you need some marketing help, NASA. I'm sure there's other DE and I, I got someone for you there too, who is on the podcast. <laughs> you can help with that. But I do think when we look at our governmental institutions across the board, that it's time to throw away the old playbooks and really start to think, how can we encourage more you know that's
1: that's exactly right and and one more piece on this I know uh, we'll move on. I think is that, that about four years ago, five years ago, I think you know NASA partnered with LinkedIn, so this is their version of um, rebranding um, the astronaut selection process. Um, and, and I'm going to say, ah, you almost got a, you almost got a wool on me. And, a, and that's a good try. The, and so, a, you know, um, I'll give them a checkbox for credit, uh, for effort. But, um, there's a saying that we have, of course, uh, commonly in the South, you know, a um, pig with lipstick is, is still a pig. You can re put it on LinkedIn and, and they got a unbelievable increase in number of applicants. So did you change the process? No, all you did was put something in the front. They put a new sticker on it and didn't do anything else. So uh, while they got PR with were partner with LinkedIn, they didn't change fundamentally the process. So it's it's false. It's it's just uh, it's a it's a a distraction for really what they should be doing, and it's just unfortunate. So um, you know, it was, yeah, it was really just. Um, non-valuable, non-value added.
0: So you left NASA, you're still obviously in the reserves and currently you have a role in the reserves that I feel like probably wears heavy on your heart. It's that final um, part to make sure that uh, any uh, service men or women who are serving, if they were to lose their lives, you kind of help with making sure they come home and helping with the families. And uh, grief is really what comes in to my mind when I think of a word. For somebody who's dealt with so much in their career, how has this new role in the Navy kind of hit home with you?
1: The, um, yeah, the, the, uh, this is a personal passion of mine um, you know we, we, we have we get asked to do lots of different jobs in the Navy and uh, as we move around and we have to be adjustable but you know every now and then you you come across a job that just um, hits home in many ways uh, personally uh, it affects you and that's this particular job is that uh, uh, I have an incredible team and and uh, as a reservist we we work for Uh, what we call the active duty folks those that are there every day so we are really helping them Um, and their job is is I, i don't know how you know you do this every day it's incredibly heavy for them they're great great americans great human beings um and then they're and so the job of this of this collective office is to be the individuals that um Uh, help get the families the benefits that are owed to them when the casualties happen. And and it could be from war. It could be from suicide. It could be from whatever, when a death happens, the Navy sailor dies. Um, There's a series of things that we have to do by policy um, to try our best to get the family, what they need, given this tough time. Um, The financial support, uh, the insurance support, all these things that they need in the first few days and the first few weeks it's, it's our commitment. It's our solemn promise that we owe every family. And so um, someone has to process all that. Someone has to push the button. Someone has to call the family. Someone has to fill out certain information about the family. That all has to happen with uh, a, a very delicate, um, very patient touch. And I mean, I'm very impressed with the team um, who do this day to day and how they have um, you know, taught me um, a new um, Understanding of humility and uh, and patience um, in in this element of it. You know, I've I've dealt with uh, death in many ways as a medic and, uh, in civilian side as well as uh, deployments, um, but it's different than dealing with families and helping them get closure uh, to the best of ability. So that's what this office does, and it's and it does it for the entire Navy. It's a very, uh, as as our uh, senior senior boss says, it's a no fail mission. Uh, we have to get it right,
0: and I just have to thank you and your team for doing that because that is one of the hardest things. I think is dealing with grieving families who this came out of nowhere for them, and this probably is a shock. I'm sure there's lots of young kids and widows and widowers, and um, it's definitely not easy. So I commend you and your team and those who serve the country in that way. Outside of that, on a little lighter note, you love to push yourself and I respect that so much. And you started Athlete Foundry, which provides parents of student athletes in sixth through 12th grade, a roadmap to build their most comprehensive um, athletic resume that allows them and improves their odds of becoming a collegiate athlete. So You know, NASA didn't really take that roadmap from you, but you decided to create one to help younger kids achieve their goals in athletics. Um, How did that come about? Was that just something that you always had in the back of your mind or did you hear stories?
1: Yeah, no, I I had no envision uh, of doing something like this ever as a kid. I was, in fact, um, anti-entrepreneurship as I grew up. um, and so never in my while as did I think that I was going to do this. But what really was, was fundamental change, I guess that derailed the the, the train of, of my life was um, the f- first day I got to Iraq and having have a rocket come fly right over my head. Um, you know, first day uh, is one thing to as a wake up call that I'd never had, which then unfortunately did become sort of a regular occurrence that as they're coming through and at some point you simply have to acknowledge that if it's your time, it's your time, but you got to get your mission going on. Um, they happened often. So, but that first moment, the first time, um, made me re evaluate my life's purpose. Questions like running through my head at that moment in time that I distinctly still remember, um, was I may not go home. Am I okay with that? Am I okay with not walking my daughters down the aisle? Um, who is going to walk them down the aisle? Um, did I leave anything unturned um, um, and have to be content with where I left? You're never happy, obviously, with saying I'm not going home, but are you content? Um, and I realized, yeah, I, I was content. You know, I, I've done everything I can and, and life takes this turn. And um, I'm confident that, that my family will come together and, and, and the daughters will be strong and, and my kids will do, do just fine. Um, but um, it was that first moment that made me realize, hmm. The, um, among the rush of questions in my head was maybe being an astronaut, is not what I'm destined for. Um, and, and it became, um, it was very hard because that was my identity. And so I, was, I had to challenge my own assumptions. Um, I wasn't given up. It was just simply saying, thinking maybe there's something because the, my, my, um, you know, we are our minuscule nature on this universe made me realize, have I done everything I want to do to make an impact in the world? And therefore, maybe there was something else that I am destined for to make a bigger impact. I'm definitely convinced that I'm prone to Earth to make a big impact. I just thought I was being an astronaut. And maybe now it's not. Maybe something bigger and different and bigger than being an astronaut. So I just started to have those doubts and uh, continue to think about it, think about it. Um, Of course, kept applying. And and after Iraq came back home and then went to Afghanistan, got the interview. Of course, we talked about that earlier. Certainly didn't make it. It wouldn't be talking to you, I think, here, but um, it was really upon return from Afghanistan and ultimately not making the cut, the final cut accelerated my thinking of, okay, that's a sign. I know there is something bigger for me out there. And I just need to go find what that is. I didn't know what it was. So I began to talk to a lot of colleagues, other veterans, other veteran entrepreneurs, began to connect with other groups and become friends um, and really start to dig into this. Hey, what am I passionate about? What can I really go solve? You know, there's those entrepreneurs that are very, nothing wrong with it. They're opportunistic. Hey, the world needs this mug. I see it missing. I need to send a billion of these mugs. Great, go do the mug thing. That's not me. Um, I need to have something that is passionate. I'm always driven by something that's inside to me. So what problem is worth solving? I have to go find that for me. And so eventually, I realized there were three dots that I had to connect. The first is, I am compassionate about kids. Um, I love giving back to kids. Uh, I knew that in my young days, I would talk to them as a NASA guy or a Navy guy. And I would tell them that they too can do these great things. It doesn't matter what zip code doesn't matter what resources doesn't matter what life thrown at them. They have to put the hard work in, but they too can do it. No better country than America. Um, And uh, so my compassion for kids was there. So, okay, how do I connect that? Next one was my passion to work with the military. That's who I am. I love the idea of little structure kids, you know, people that want to higher purpose so how do I work the military thing with the kid thing? I'm go, oh, no, like doesn't make any sense um, in a scale way. Um, and so the third dot is really what brought it all together. And that was when I discovered the closest civilian counterparts to the military are athletes, team vision, passion, focus, if you will, higher purpose, team effort. So when I connected all these dots, youth, youth athletics, kids, student athletes is what was the aha moment. And uh, in talking to other um, former student-athletes, uh, veterans um, who helped me in this journey actually expressed significant struggles and challenges in their student-athlete journey. And they said, boy, I just represent, not just me, but 90% of the kids that I've talked to, that I've interfaced with, this problem is deep, it is uh, it is very nasty, it is fragmented. Uh, and so that just all resonated for me And as I really said, okay, well, Let me do some decent research. So I dug in and did six months of intense research on this process and I discovered they're absolutely right. It is uh, absolute. um, It is um, a a culture that is stuck in the old way of doing business. There's um, 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 monopolies in certain areas. There are fragmentations, the gap between the have and the have nots. This is well-documented in Time Magazine, Sports Illustrated is huge. Um, Year after year a magazine come out, and there's just so much disparity that the majority of kids who are underserved, underprivileged the underdogs across America do not have a shot are absolutely at a disadvantage because the system is not set up for them um, and and I just that resonates with me because of everything I grew up with. The system didn't want me to get where I'm at, right like the whole state the statement I said at the beginning. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. Um, so I want to change that. I want to make a difference and help across America. So that was the path that got me to Athlete Foundry.
0: No, it's funny. I had a uh, Nick Roach on, who's a former Bears player during the Erlacher years or friendly, and he talked about how that whole process is. Like a shit show, pretty much in high school. Um, one of my closest friends, uh, actually played with Nick at Northwestern, and then he played in the NFL for a little. And you know, again, no one knew. Like, do you send in tapes in high school? Like, what do you do? Kind of, am I already late to the game? Which go see Casey's website. It will be in this episode show notes. Like, yes, you are. Like, you got to start a little early. In You know, I went on the site and you have the roadmap and understanding and, you know, parents who are listening, whose kids, that's their goal, support your kids, do the research, connect with uh, KC and understand what you can do to give your kid the opportunity if that's really what they want to do is play sports in college or try to get into that professional athlete track. But I definitely agree, it's something that if you don't have the money or you're not around privilege or you don't have those a community or parents you know who can drive you to this game or that game it doesn't matter how talented you are you're already at a disadvantage and that's not fair because so many people in this country don't have that so I definitely commend you for not only helping but it's not like you grew up playing like intense sports but that you took your knowledge and passion to put it together to help serve those Communities that are often overlooked or not given any opportunities.
1: Yeah, 100%, absolutely. And, and, and I'll say that and the other um, unique view that I bring to this uh, and to the platform and our product is really about not just the athletic dream, but doing it in a way that is ignored at large across America in, in history of, of youth selection. And that is uh, the ig- ignoring the holistic development Focusing on just the athletics, um, while athletics is important, you know, we're not about pro-athletics at Athlete Foundry, we're about helping you get to college, and really, ultimately, at the end of the day, under the hood of Athlete Foundry is helping you be a productive citizen when you enter society, because sports will end one day. That's not the time you say, what do I do now? Unfortunately, that is a very common statement. So our view is really what every parent should get excited about is that why would every parent not want their child to be well-rounded and holistic? So our model, which is the first in the nation, actually is crafted around this idea of holistic, well-rounded athletic component, but also the academic component and the human component, all three, which ultimately help you prepare for life after sports in in every aspect.
0: I love that so much. Casey, I could talk to you for hours. I can't wait for the book to come out. Please, like... (laughs) When it does, please come back on the show. Let's talk about it. You have an open invitation whenever you would like to come on. I've enjoyed this so much. Thank you uh, for giving me so much of your time. I know you have three girls and wife and a whole family and you're home for a little bit before you have to travel again. So I really appreciate you giving up some time tonight uh, to chat with me. I end every episode with the same three questions. And the first question is, if you had a quote or a mantra that you lived by, what would it be?
1: Uh, it would be, I thought about this, because uh, I often think about this, and that would be um, helping others achieve their full life potential.
0: I think that's very fitting for based off our conversation tonight. The second question is, if you could relive any one day, which day would you choose?
1: Very interesting question. And the reason is is, is I think, We tend to pick um, the things of marriage and a baby's born, um, very important, Um, absolutely important, life-changing for for, for sure. But I would say my answer to that is actually the first day that I was in Iraq when that rocket flew over me and nearly uh, took me out. And, and I and I I don't want to necessarily say I'm happy about reliving it, but I would relive it. The reason why that moment was so important is because it reminded me for the first time in a long time of all the things that I'm grateful for and important in my life. That moment kicked off that thought process. And so that's, that's, it reminded me of the day I got married. It reminded me of the day I got my daughters. That's why that moment uh, is my, my sort of, not expected answer, I would say that's my answer.
0: No, I love that. I think that there's moments in our lives that shift how we think and really impact us and good, bad, or scary, or whatever. But those moments are so important because it makes you appreciate and really practice gratitude. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The final question is if you had a theme song that played every time you walked into a room, which song would you choose?
1: <laughs> Boy, it's like hundreds of amazing, great songs that, uh, you know, from, from ones that have, that have attitude uh, to the never give up uh, concept. Um, and so I think my answer will always change depending upon when you ask me. And today, um, there's something recent I saw and it, and it just reminded me of this classic. Uh, to me, it's a classic, a Fleetwood Mac song, which is everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I am so happy. It's our first Fleetwood Mac song. Um, so for those, you know, this episode probably won't come out till January, but today it was sadly announced that Christine McVie passed away, who's an original member of Fleetwood Mac. She was the keyboardist and was married to bassist John McVie. They got divorced. Uh, I am a massive Fleetwood Mac <laughs> fan I have a Fleetwood Mac tattoo so I am (laughs) so excited to be adding that song to the for your listening pleasure theme song playlist so (laughs) listeners can hear this amazing theme song along with all our our other guests theme songs so this just made my night well this whole conversation but also I'm such a big music person and I've secretly been waiting for someone to give me some Fleetwood
1: Mac so thank (laughs) you See, it was meant to be. It was meant to be. I love
0: it. Yes. I mean, I'm I'm obviously super upset that she passed away. No one knew. Yes. And now I'm starting to think like, I'm never going to see the band back together again because Lindsay got kicked out. And I mean, I've seen Stevie Nicks like 16 times.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: I am a fan. So I'm very excited wow. that you added that song.
1: So Wow.
0: Casey, thank you again so much. This has been such a pleasure. I hope one day our paths cross. We're in the same city and I can take you for coffee and we can chat more. Thank you for everything you've done for this country. I don't know if people have thanked you enough, but you definitely deserve a lot of credit. And thank you again for sharing your story and being so open and vulnerable.
1: Uh, thank you, Mallory. It's an absolute an honor, a personal a privilege to get to meet you. You can guarantee that uh, we will stay in touch. And uh, if you ever in Austin, must must let me know in advance. Guarantee uh, I will be upset if you don't. Um, and uh, I would say thank you for your kind words, but uh, I don't get the thanks. Uh, there's two two people I I would uh, offer that really have earned the thanks. One is the family who stayed behind uh, in the service members' families, a spouse. Um, uh, you know, there's diamonds and platinum and gold they're they're tough materials on earth uh the military spouse is the toughest material on earth um, and the second uh, group uh, are the people that don't come back those are the people that we really thank so um, i'm simply a servant um and uh and i'm give, appreciate the opportunity so thank you very much for everything and the opportunity today to chat with you and i look forward to the episode but also the next time you and i talk Mallory.